because it would hurt their reputations and careers. F*** you, you egotistical <laughs> shits. Radio Drone. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drone. I am Josh Hadley. Along with me, along with me, with me, along for this ride, I've completely gimped this up, but we're going to keep going, is Cecil T. Yes, uh, I am here. From the great non-white north, because we're getting all the snow in America, not in Canada, is Peter. I'm already tired. Didn't you just wake up? Yeah, exactly. What might help you wake up is going to adamandeve.com, even though technically you can't. Cecil can, though. Cecil can wake up by going to adamandeve.com. All he would have to do is use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So on that note, what we're going to talk about tonight why is low-budget filmmaking and indie filmmaking look so down upon by mainstream films? Like, for instance, just about every single what we would call an A-list actor started in low-budget films, but they don't like to acknowledge that. Some of the best directors out there, these people that are winning all these Oscars every single year, they started in low-budget films. They started with Charles Band or Roger Corman or Lloyd Kaufman or places like that, but they never want to acknowledge that. Why is the low-budget world dirty little secret that A-list Hollywood really doesn't like? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's considered by the Academy to be like a, a social pariah kind of thing to, to have started out making uh, horror or, or exploitation or B-movies. There's a few filmmakers that acknowledge it. Like I know, I know James Gunn will happily talk about his time doing exploitation movies. I mean, he still, he'll still have like Lloyd Kaufman show up in his films. He's still making smaller movies. I mean, he just recently did the, was it the Bilko experiments? He, yep, he didn't okay. direct that. That was just, and that was based on an older script, but I get what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, that, that's not the name of the movie though. It's not called Bilko experiments. It's B- Belko. Belko. Yeah. Uh, he may, I mean, he worked on that with the Wolf Creek guy, and then he's still working on, you know, Avengers stuff, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. So he's someone who's very open about it, but you will have a lot of actors who will, or even directors who will frown upon it. I mean, you got James Cameron who completely vilifies all his old stuff, and anytime a horror movie with a 3D moniker on it comes out, he's like, this is just cheap uh, 70s, 80s exploitation stuff, and then he'll go and re-release Terminator 2 for like the 300th time in 3D. I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't, I don't understand why they think it's, it's going to do badly for them, because clearly the directors and the actors that do embrace it are still doing well. Kevin Bacon wants to play Freddy Krueger. You know, he still remembers his days doing horror movies. Um, Johnny Depp never refuses to acknowledge that his first film was Nightmare on Elm Street. 
to be fair with Johnny Depp, he hates 21 Jump Street. And to hear him tell it, and 21 Jump Street made him way more famous than Nightmare on Elm Street did. I don't know. Some some actors hate their TV days. That would be a topic all on its own is is actors that consider TV to be lesser than um, than movies. Like there's a lot of actors that tell these stories of them giving advice to their actor friends like never do TV. It'll, it'll ruin your career. So that I think that's a case of that. But he definitely doesn't look down on his on his uh, Wes Craven days. Was it part six he had the funny cameo? Or was that seven, five? That was six. That was six. It was six. That was okay. Freddy's, you know, Freddy's th- dead. Th- th- that did show, yeah, he was okay with Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, but yeah, he's, he obviously will embrace at least his low-budget film roots. Maybe not so much his TV roots, but we're talking about film. But most directors, you're right, they will, or directors, filmmakers, whatever, completely look down on on that whole part of their life. I'm not sure how what Peter Jackson's stance on it is. Like does he deny making Brain Dead and and uh No. I I don't think so. He 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 always no, seems he, pretty down to earth about that. Yeah, he I've seems like he'd talk, be he'd be cool about it. I've seen him talk about his his old movies and he talks about them nothing but like warm fuzzies, you know. He's he says, you know, they're they're not as widely seen as, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies and whatnot, but uh he still says that, you know, he's he's never badmouthed his past, which is nice. I like that. That's good. I I could see him being like that. Yeah, he gets his roots. He knows like he, you know, with a lot of actors, they they kind of forget. It's like you're you're where you are because of what you did. You know, you may have been in a commercial or you may have been in a movie you don't like or something, but somebody saw that and hired you for this job, which then led to the next job, which so on and so forth. And now, you know, you're winning an Oscar and, uh, you know, you were, you were in some pile of garb, you were in, uh, Cutting Attack of the Killer, with Brad Attack Pitt. of the Killer Tomatoes or, uh, yeah. or BMX Bandits or something, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, it's sad when you hear, like, that really bummed me out. Nicole Kidman, when she was talking about BMX Bandits, she didn't say anything bad about it. Really, aside from, like, the, you know, the outfits that she wore, which was the style at the time. But she I, didn't I thought that was outright... when you wore an onion on your belt. Yes, which was, a, <laughs> give me five Bs for a quarter, you'd say. They had her in the outfits and she was like, she was in an interview and she's like, ah, I don't want to really talk about it. So it, it kind of sucked that uh, she didn't you know want to go into it because it's like, look, that was not only the gig that got you other gigs, but that was the first gig. And her parents asked uh, Brian Trenchard Smith, you know, is this acting thing really for her? And he was like, yes, it's like the camera loves her. So there's a very good possibility if, uh, if he had said no or if she didn't do that movie then she would not be the multi-million oscar winning actress that she is today mm-hmm. and uh there's a lot of uh of actors who really frown upon their past i think it kind of looks at it like they look at it in a different perspective as we do like like i when i was younger i worked at burger king you know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm here where I am now, but I, you know, when I was younger, I worked at Burger King. So I think like some actors, they look at lower budget films, like working at like a fast food joint or working as like a, uh, working a waitress as a diet at diner or something. It's like, mm-hmm. it's beneath them because of where they are now. It's like, look, you know, those, that, that paid your bills and kind of got you through and, and now you're, you're bigger. And you should be open to, yeah, I was in this movie. I mean, you know, you don't have to, every time somebody brings it up, you don't have to like completely gush over it, but like, don't deny it. Don't, you know, look down upon it. Or, uh, I know Christian Slater, I don't know about now, 
But I know for a while when he was getting big, he was in that movie, uh, I think it was like Psychopath or I forget the name of it, where he was like a drooling, a literal drooling killer. It's a really awful movie, but he like <laughs> denies making it. And it's like, um, it's you and your name's on it. And same thing with, with, uh, Hudson Hawk and Bruce Willis. You know, it's like you, you did these. Don't, why are you denying them? Just be like, mm. yeah, it was, you know, I did it. I'm not really proud of it, but whatever. That's kind of like trying to bury your past. Like, uh, George Clooney, obviously he can't bury some of his early TV past, but some of it he can. I remember a couple of years ago, well, a couple, like a, you know, 12 years ago, I was contacted by the David Letterman show because I had an unaired pilot for a George that had George Clooney in it and they wanted to show a clip of it and surprise him on the air. He would not sign the release to let them air that segment. There was a, a special once that Trio once did, a channel that doesn't exist, on unaired pilots. George Clooney would not sign any of the releases to allow his face to be shown on TV. Oh, what a he, was, bitch. He, he was basically like, maybe you can prove I did these, but you are not showing them. And it's like, th that's like trying to bury the past. This didn't exist. You know, it's almost like he was saying, wasn't me. In, in one way, with Kevin Smith burying the clerk's pilot. Well, he had nothing to I, do with that, so I totally understand that. That's the thing. I understand there's a major difference between that because that's tarnishing the brand, so to speak. Like, that's taking something that he had created and somebody else did something oh, yeah. that was awful I, I don't awful want Smith with at all for that. So no. that's the thing. I'm saying that's a, di you know, just to kind of point that out, that's a major difference between this. Because some people will conflate the two and be like, oh, well, they're trying to bury their past. It's like, well, that's that's a past that they had nothing to do with. And after seeing the clerk's pilot, you understand why he didn't want anyone to see it. It's terrible. Yeah, because it's it's nothing like his property. It's nothing like clerks. Yeah, it's like it, it's like oh, somebody it, it's, heard about what clerks was and made the show based off of that. It's actually such a black eye because I'm writing a book on unaired pilots. I contacted various cast members from it. Every single one got back to me. I really don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. Multiple cast members in that were like, that was a dark time in my life. I don't want to talk <laughs> about that. That's not a quote from any of them, but that's the vibe. Every single one turned me down for an interview because I don't want to talk about clerks. Well, it was Brewer. Was, he was the only one I really re like recognized. Oh, and, and I think there was like one other person there, I remember. But yeah, it was, I, I could see them being like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we really wish we hadn't made this. Well, it probably seemed like a good idea at the time. I mean, Clerks was still like Kevin was was hot, and the you know Clerks it was only it was only a year after Clerks came out. Oh wow, I thought it was yeah, like it was ninety five. Oh, oh my god, yeah. So, so I, there, I don't even think Mallrats was out yet. Yeah, Mallrats was ninety six, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so yeah, oh that's crazy. I thought it was closer to Mallrats. No. No, oh, that's this, this was like, you know, Clerks is a huge hit. He, I don't know what kind of a deal he signed with Disney. Well, it was tech, technically with ABC, but Disney owned mm -hmm. them. With Disney, this thing happened. And he didn't even, from what I understand, he didn't even know they were making it until one of the actors, he ran into them on something else. They mentioned they just shot this. And he was like, what? <laughs> well, what do you mean you just shot a pilot for Clerks? Well, I guess since Disney owned Miramax, and I guess Miramax just bought the rights Did to they Clerks. Did Miramax at that point, though? I didn't think they owned Miramax till later in the 90s. Uh, my timeline might be off, but I, I'm pretty sure that, uh, cause that, cause that was when, and, and then a while after that, because they, he left and he went to Lionsgate. 
I'm, okay, I'm I, I pretty... might be wrong on the timeline, but I'm just saying, like, you, you have stuff like these pilots, and, and in a lot of cases, you see, because I'm writing, like, a, you know, I'm writing the book on on-aired pilots, I contact a lot of these people. I'm not just from Clerks, sometimes from, you know, spinoffs of, like, some big show or something, and they're like, I really don't want to talk about that. You know, some of these people are really big names now. But then you get other ones like Liz Vassie. I, I actually contacted her about the Adventures of Captain Zoom and Outer Space pilot, and she was like, why stop there? I've got like eight pilots. And she just, she was so open and giving me all this information and talking to me. She doesn't look back at her past in a bad way. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Stallone doesn't seem to be that ashamed of party at Kitty and Studs. He, yeah, <laughs> oddly enough, he does for Death Race 2000. How often do you ever hear him bring up how Roger Corman really jump-started his career? No, he, he kind of like, yeah, I started with Rocky. Does it, what? Oh, come on. But Death Race, he was so good in Death Race 2000. He wants Didn't to he throw it. mashed potatoes and spaghetti at somebody? It's been years since I've seen it. <laughs> I believe so. The only thing I could think of is maybe it was like a really rough shoot or maybe like he didn't get along with Corman or something. I, I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit more to it than that. But that kind of sucks because, yeah, I mean, he had a, a pretty big part in Death Race 2000. And I mean, yeah, it's he was not. Like the, he was the main villain. He was and... freaking mach- Machine Gun Joe for Turbo. Right. He was he was really good in it. And I mean, of course, you want to be like, I made my debut with with Rocky. I mean, who wouldn't want, you know, to, to be claiming that? But look, man, be realistic. Be like, you know what? You know, Rocky was what put me on the map. But I got my start. Well, you got to start with Italian Stallion. And uh, but he did uh, Death Race 2000. I mean, own that shit. Go back and look at either the return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Texas Chainsaw Massacre the Next Generation, since it had both titles. McConaughey and Zellweger sued to stop the film's release. They were so <laughs> really? imba- They actually sued because the film had such a tumultuous post-production schedule. They made that when they weren't famous. Then right. they both became famous and the movie's getting ready to come out and they're like, Oh my god, this movie cannot come out right when my star is rising. No way. And they sued the damn producers to stop a movie from coming out because it would hurt their reputations and careers. F*** you, you egotistical <laughs> shits. You know, and McConaughey's like, great in it. Well, McConaughey has robot legs, and, and Zellweger just, like, is almost, uh, like, unrecognizable. She's really uh, cute. I, she, she was kinda cute. She was, like, the, the nerdy, the, the nerdy cute girl. Hollywood like. nerdy. Yeah, well, ha- yeah, Hollywood nerdy. I think that, in, in a way, I could, like, I don't think it's particularly right, but I kind of can see, because look, man, they were just blowing up, and can you imagine, like, you know, you are on the, you are on the brink of being able to get $10 million movies, and then, you know, $10 million, you know, paychecks for movies, and all of a sudden, oh wait, they did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the, the next generation, and he's run around with robot legs, and it's so, like, cool, like, it, it's, the, the public perception, really does factor into a lot of paychecks so i could kind like i could understand them maybe trying to pay for it to be delayed or something but to but a lot of times it's it's either all or nothing so uh i I, I consider it massive ego that all these other people worked on this movie all these other actors were in it and in this case it's part of a franchise all of you i'm a big star now that's just you know ego. what? It, I think it would have been a mercy killing because Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation <laughs> is a 
fucking pile of horse shit. Okay, no, no I, I, I get that in this case. Yes, y- you are 100% right. But I'm just saying the idea, all these other people's work, that doesn't matter because no, I'm it, a big it star. Doesn't. In that in that movie's case, it really doesn't. Okay, I think you know what. There might have been other people that worked on the film that are like, "Look, thanks for doing us a solid. <laughs> get, get this shit banned. I don't want this on my on my IMDb page." <laughs> Maybe, but like you know, Jennifer Aniston has outright said she's ashamed of Leprechaun. Now she should be ashamed because it's a bad movie, but I don't, I don't I don't think that's what she means in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think she means she's ashamed that. Oh, I was in this, like, leprechaun movie where these were throwing shoes and stuff. I think that's what she's ashamed of, not that it's just a terrible movie. Not ashamed of uh, Friends? No? Well, This is when she was on Friends. Worst fucking show. It got got released way before. She didn't even ever... She had her old nose back when she did Leprechaun. She was doing uh, that that Julie Brown show. uh, Was it The Edge? It was kind of like Mad TV before Mad TV. It was a really uh, avant-garde, sketch-based show because it wasn't like Saturday Night Live. It was more of the like really kind of fast-based sketch, sketch, sketch. Uh, you know, and they did repeats. It, it 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 was kind of funny. It had its moments. It's very very dated. I think it's probably on YouTube by now. But yeah, it was Julie Brown, uh, the white Julie Brown, and uh, not downtown Julie Brown and uh jennifer not aniston. bad bad leroy brown not bad bad leroy brown uh and jennifer aniston post nose job or pre nose job wait did she actually so she actually got a nose job oh she totally got a nose job that's she had a, a thing job okay. on her face she was cute but it was like it was it, she had a a much bigger nose before mm. it wasn't jennifer gray levels where like you know you see jennifer gray in dirty dancing and then you see her in in tales from the crypt 3 and you go wait wait that's the same girl she was yeah. unrecognizable in Tales from the Crypt 3. Yeah, they really, yeah, they, like, it's it's amazing how, like, a nose will make that much of a difference on you. She was way cuter post-nose job, though, I, I will admit. Well, I remember there was a TV show that she did where it was, like, the Jennifer Grey show. Where all these I remember people, that. And they were all, like, all these people are recognizing her. I'm like, how are they recognizing her? She doesn't look anything like the girl from Dirty Dancing. <laughs> But, okay, to swing back to the topic, what actually made me want to talk about this was I was watching an interview with Roger Corman from 1990. John Costas was interviewing him, and he brought up something that really hammers home this. Now, a lot of these actors have not denounced their work with Corman, but look at the 1975 Oscars. Roger Corman was not nominated for anything, because, well, Roger Corman, but every single major category was filled with Roger Corman alums, and with the exception of Jack Nicholson losing Best best Actor to Art Carney, every single category was won by somebody who started with Roger Corman, and yet the Academy can't even give Roger Corman the time of day. What does that say when you look at, like, the 1975 Oscars? Every single one of these people started with Roger Corman. He kickstarted every single one of their careers, but he is persona non grata. That Hollywood is pretentious. That's it's as simple as that. Does it go deeper than that? Do you think? I'm sure there are there, there are deeper elements of it, but it is like you, you you've made it to Hollywood. You've made it to the elite. You you're on a higher level now. So the lower budgeted stuff, the the little horror movies and the little action sci-fi movies are beneath you now because you're in Hollywood. You're part of the Academy. So I I think that it's that level of pretension to it. It doesn't matter where you where you started. 
you're here now. So to thank somebody like Roger Corman for starting up your career or for the Academy to acknowledge him in any way, even though he should be acknowledged because a lot of his, his filming styles paved the way. A lot of the, the actors he used would end up getting noticed by, by the higher ups eventually, but there's still that level of pretension. Like you're, you're an independent filmmaker. You're, you're somebody who makes what we consider to be trash. So you don't count. It, it's, it's very much like, Hollywood is is first class and everything else is coach. Going back to the Oscars, it's evident when a movie like Get Out gets all kinds of uh, nominations and praise and they refuse to call it a horror movie. Mm -hmm. There is an overwhelming amount of pretentiousness in Hollywood where uh, certain people, certain, uh, you know, whether they be directors, actors, usually it's directors and producers, but then uh, genres are just, you know, not cool. And so if you are Corman or uh, or you are making horror films, even if you make an incredibly well done horror film, a film that deserves the attention. I'm not saying about Get Out, but I'm saying there have been horror films. Silence in the past. of the Lamb. Silence, well, of, Silence the Lambs, of the Lambs was a they thriller. Refused. Silence of the Lambs was a thriller. Yeah. And it was like, no. It's a horror, it's a slasher movie in every aspect, and even its director said so, and ironically enough, Roger Corman is an actor in that Oscar-winning movie. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's ridiculous that they will pull that kind of nonsense where it's, oh, this isn't a horror film, they'll, they'll do the mental gymnastics to come up with another genre for it, and it's just, it's embarrassing. It's like, just, why is that not qualified, and why, uh, I understand that, that Corman's films in general have not been Oscar caliber films but at the very least he deserves uh like some recognition i mean he's he's pretty old eventually when he dies is he going to be one of the ones that they seemingly forget to leave off of the death montage like they do every year i mean despite the fact that he has done a ridiculous amount for the industry more so mm. than some of the other people that they constantly kiss their asses I believe so, because there is that pretension. I, I remember years ago, this is like back in the mid-90s, I think it was HBO, it might have been Stars when they were first starting, but there was a, a pay cable documentary series just called The Directors. And it would be, you know, some huge director and they would look back at their career. And I remember the James Cameron one literally had less than a minute of all of his Roger Corman stuff, you know, there's just a quick clip of Galaxy of Terror, quick clip of Battle Beyond the Stars, quick clip of Piranha, th Piranha 2, and then all of a sudden it's like, and his career truly began in 1984 with The Terminator. And it, <laughs> I remember they did the same thing. They did an actor one on Brad Pitt, and it was, oh, they mentioned Freddy's Nightmares in 21 Jump Street, didn't show clips. They showed a quick clip of Cutting Class, but and Brad Pitt's first real film, Thelma and Louise, you know, like she was all these in other things like don't matter. It, it's it, it's like yeah, all, all this low budget stuff. Oh, James Cameron did great effects for Galaxy of Terror. No, no, no. His real career started with The Terminator. You hear that a lot too. Now, the actress I'm going to bring up has backed off of this, but for years, Michelle Bauer refused to acknowledge her early films. She started in hardcore porn, usually with Rinse Dream in like Cafe Flesh and Night Dreams, and she did a couple of other porns under the pseudonym Pia Snow. For years was on record, my first movie was 1983's The Tomb with Fred Olin Ray. And it's like, no, it wasn't. She considered that her first real movie was The Tomb. Porn, much like exploitation in B-movies and stuff, 70s, early 80s do. porn, where there is story and acting. 
it's still porn though. There's still it's still uh, stigmatized by by the studios and the the academy. So she was probably worried about actually actually talking about it. But it is it is stupid to deny it. I mean, it's out there. People can literally just search you up and find you in those movies. So it's it seems it seems really pointless to try to deny being in something like that when someone can just pick it up and watch it. But I, I can I can kind of understand where the shame would be coming from from that because she does want to be considered a real actress because a lot of people don't consider porn to be real movies. They just consider it to be meat-beating movies. I mean, a, a lot of people don't watch porn for the stories. They watch it to see naked people f***ing. So I, I can see where she's coming from on that. I mean, yeah, sure, the 70s and the 80s had uh, had the Johnny Wad stuff and, and shit like that and obviously Deep Throat. And uh, what is it behind the behind the green door? Behind the green door, yeah. Yeah, so you had movies that were considered to be real movies by some, but but by the majority they were just considered whack films. So uh, I can see why she'd want to say, well, real movie was was this because because technically by the populace, porn is not considered to be real movies. They're just considered to be porn you shouldn't necessarily be ashamed of it like it's something you did whatever you're moving on you're doing something else but i can see where she'd be coming from uh that early on into her career porn back then was not looked at the way that it is today i mean porn back then was kind of the dirty thing and uh i i kind of i again i kind of look at it from the perspective of you are denying your past they were doing it under and often you know pseudonym didn't really want it to be found and with with today you know somebody does anything and it's like you you find 50 degrees of connection to it but back then it wasn't quite as easy so i kind of can understand that i still think you are denying your past you know they don't want to they don't want to be looked upon like that now and on the flip side you have somebody like uh, kim mckamey who became ashlyn gear who like she didn't she went the opposite direction Direction. She was she, she was actually Ashlyn Gear had a weird she was one of the very few porn stars who was able to almost effortlessly move between mainstream I mean she was in huge budget films and TV shows like The X-Files and Millennium and then she'd be doing like Come Catchers 37 the day after she's shooting an X-Files episode that was almost unheard of in the 90s <laughs> yeah, I think God, who's the who was the blonde that that kind of crossed over for a little while? Ginger Lynn did. For Ginger a while. Lynn, Ginger Lynn, Ginger Lynn was like popping up in like the Outer Limits and stuff. NYPD and, Blue, I remember NY- she was in an early episode of that, and she was really good in that. Yeah, she was making the transition, and then it just uh, you know either did, her agent didn't do a good enough job, or she won you know the the money wasn't was good elsewhere. I don't know, but she's one of the ones who uh, kind of was doing the same thing. She was doing a little bit of porn, she's doing a little bit of mainstream stuff and then just like never really took off and it's just weird when you see that happen because it's so rare nowadays porn stars making you know like piranha movies and stuff is more acceptable back then you didn't see that very often like ashlyn gear and ginger lynn were exceptions not the rule Oh, absolutely. There were exceptions, mm. not the rule. But, uh, I mean, I, I guess I kind of, I kind of see where, where the other girls were coming from because they don't, it is a, that's a little bit darker than being in a bad movie, you know, cause it's like all of a sudden, you know, I mean, look at how all the women flipped out about now, granted it was an invasion of privacy, but when the fappening happened, now imagine, Hey, I really like this actress. I can go see her getting railed. Well, you know, you, you, you're gonna go watch it. I, I think that, like, that, uh, it really presents 
kind of a, a thing that a lot of actresses don't, you know, that they, they figured that it wasn't really going to get out there or not that many people were going to see it. And then now that they blew up and now that they're popular, of course, people are going to go nuts and they're going to go search for it on the internet. Or back then, you know, they would, they would go to the rental shops and rent it. That's one where it's a little bit like, I don't think that they should be able to have them buried, but I can see them being embarrassed by them. What about how, especially in the mainstream of the internet, I, I've seen so many lists talk about like, oh, you won't believe the embarrassing movie that this actor started in. And, and, and I see you know, there's all these lists and they're almost all horror and sci-fi movies. And oh my God, can you believe this A-list actor was in this god awful movie? Why do you think mainstream, I, I, I don't want to call it, uh, the media, but the mainstream just looks so bad at this. Like, okay, Critters 3, it wasn't a good movie, but DiCaprio's not bad in it. You no. know, Jeff Gold, Jeff Goldblum in Death Wish, he's not bad. You can see, even go back to Cutting Class with Brad Pitt, you can see future superstar Brad goddamn Pitt in that movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see how he is honing his skills. Now, when he was on Freddy's Nightmares, let's put it this way. If you watch the Brad Pitt episode of Freddy's Nightmares, you will never say to yourself, this guy's going to be a superstar. <laughs> he was terrible in that. And the bad thing about the Freddy's Nightmares is he looked like he was trying really hard, too. Oh, man. So, but, but, I mean, you go, go to cutting class or something, and you go, these, that this is where these people learn the rules this is where they honed their craft why should they be embarrassed about being in an exploitation movie early in their career i really don't know some people are just are, are different they they have higher levels of of shame than other people you know you you got some some people who you're talking about like ashlyn gear who could go off and do hardcore porn and then go and do like a mainstream movie or a mainstream tv show and then you have somebody like the the populace the majority of of the actors that can't seem to handle the fact that they were just happened to be in a Roger Corman film or a Wes Craven film or, or something like that. And they, they look back on that as a, as a smear on their, on their careers. And you have other, other people that look at it the same way. It's like, look at this embarrassing thing. It's, it's not so much even their personal opinion about it. It's the fact that so many other people look down on it too. You, you have people perpetuating that shame. You have um, people writing articles about that and saying, look at this goofy shit they were in. Look at this embarrassing movie they were in before. The actual audience isn't really helping much when they're casting shade on them for doing that kind of shit to begin with. Now, I've never heard him speak of these movies either in a positive or negative way, but look at Clint Eastwood in Tarantula or Revenge of the Creature. It's really kind of neat because you can immediately go, oh my god, that is so Clint Eastwood. In a, in a weird way, there's a lot of people that would look at like Revenge of the Creature and go, oh my god, Clint Eastwood? And does he, is he ashamed of doing those movies? I've never heard him speak of either one either way, but I'm mm. just bringing that as an example. I don't know what his current feelings on this are, but Tom Hanks used to be pretty cool about uh, He Knows You're Alone. I remember him on The Tonight Show or Letterman or something like that, and Tom Hanks was like, oh, yeah, we made this Slasherman. And he's telling stories about it and how much, you know, he was bonding with the crew and all this. And this is after Splash, and he's a huge name. And I'm like, mm -hmm. that's a good way to look at it. But I, but then again, has Tom Hanks never not seemed like a really fucking cool guy? Yeah, I mean, you can say what you want about him as an actor. There's a lot of people that consider him to be kind of milk toast, but he honestly seems like a stand-up professional dude, Like, and he will talk about anything that he's been in like, like, like as you said i've seen the interviews for the um he knows you're alone and i've seen him in the movie he's honestly really good in it he was actually so good in it 
he was supposed to get killed. But <laughs> but seriously, the producers were like, he's so likable on screen. He they was couldn't bring themselves to kill him. <laughs> that was probably a, probably a good choice, and it would have honestly, it might have even been a better choice to kill him off because it would have it, it really would have created that uh, sympathy for his character because he was probably the most likable character in that whole film. That's great when you get somebody. Uh, another one is Matt Damon. Uh, there was actually an interview um, when he, I think it was around the time when he did the first Born Identity movie. Mm. And they were, they were asking him, they're like, you know, well, now that you're a big star, are you still going to do those dumb Kevin Smith movies? And he was like... There was a time when me and Ben were both homeless and we were living and sleeping on Kevin Smith's couch. He's like, if Kevin wants me to, I'll make a million movies for him. He's yeah. like, I, you know, he's he's like he's he's not just like a, it's not a job. He's like my friend as well. He's like and I, you know, I like working for him. But on top of that, he is also the you know, I'm, I'm also now I'm way paraphrasing. But he's saying how he was the guy who really helped to get him in the industry and how he wouldn't be able to be doing the Bourne movies if not for doing the uh, the MTV spots that he directed, you know, doing those movies. So I got a lot of respect for him. I kind of always liked him. But I like the fact that like he wasn't just going to immediately shit all over his friend because now mm. he's, you know, now he's a big shot. And it's nice when there are actors and whatnot who uh, have come up through the ranks, still speak positively and nicely about people who they have worked with in the past when mm. they deserve it. But then you have people like Jack Nicholson. You know, he came up with Corman. Corman gave Nicholson his first screenwriting jobs, his first directing job, and all of his early acting work. And then, you know, Nicholson goes and blows up after Easy Rider, and that's fine. Mm. It was in the early 1990s. I can't remember what movie it was going to be, but Corman wanted Jack Nicholson to come in for a cameo. Like, like you know, a, like three hours, three, four hours. And Nicholson was like, you can't afford me anymore, Roger. Oh, God. And, and, you know, you see Nicholson in these documentaries talking about Roger Corman in such glowing terms, and you're like, you couldn't do Corman a fucking favor, you egomaniac? Well, going again, going back to Kevin Smith and this time with Ben for I think it was for it was no, I think it was Jersey Girl. He got him. Uh, he basically got Ben to work for like next to nothing to do Jersey Girl because he like <laughs> he talks about it in one of his uh, I think it was uh, the second Kevin Smith spoken word uh, that he put on DVD. But he got him to do it for like next to nothing. He gave him like a massive guilt trip. And uh, and then he also got him to like squeeze him into Daredevil. And it was like it, it's his story about it is really funny. It's either on the first or second one where he talks all about how he, he gave him just a massive guilt trip. And he's like, he's like, I didn't think he'd go for it. He totally went for it. But, but that's the thing. But Ben also was putting it onto, you know, he, he wanted to do his, his friend a favor. He wanted to do this movie that, uh, was for, uh, one of the movies he was doing for his, his family. You know, he knew he couldn't be able to afford now that Ben was, was big, you know, was big star. He wouldn't be able to afford him at his scale. So, it was nice to see. It was like, all right, I'm going to do this to a ridiculously lower level uh, when a lot of actors like Nicholson is like, oh, you can't afford me anymore. It's like, well, you wouldn't be able to be saying that if not for the fact that we used to pay you. But now, now I've never heard this next actress speak about this movie one way or the other, but lots of articles I found look down on Jennifer Conley for Creepers and say like, oh, it's a good thing she survived the fallout from that movie to get Labyrinth. And it's like, well, to Creepers, get Labyrinth? She, 
she's really good in Creepers. And she's really good in Labyrinth. And here's the, the correlation between those two fucking movies. Both technically bad. Neither, I mean, I honestly think um, Phenomena is a better movie than Labyrinth. I mean, Labyrinth is fun, but I it's agree with cheesy you. as all fucking shit. Like, it's, it's really more of like a guilty pleasure kind of movie. Like, I don't see how people are like, oh, lucky she got Labyrinth. What do you mean lucky she got Labyrinth? Well, I, I, like, I think they, what? I think they mean, I think they mean lucky and that that's the film that really broke her mm. into becoming, you know, a larger actress. You know, Creepers didn't do a whole lot for her career. Labyrinth did. I think that's what they mean in terms of star power, not necessarily movie quality. And but the only star power in fucking Labyrinth was David Bowie's dick. God, what uh, what part of the Jim Henson department is that? Oh my god. <laughs> Well, I think it's funny that it's like that she survived Creeper slash Phenomenon because it's like how many people, even huge like Jennifer Connelly fans, even had heard of, you know, it, it's just it's absurd. It's not like something like a Gili or a Pixels or whatever, where a movie comes along that's like notoriously bad, like Phenomenon on top of not being a bad movie in the slightest. But it's not like it wasn't a huge mainstream movie that was like a bomb or something. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that they would say, you know, oh, it's lucky that she got Labyrinth. Most people never even heard of her. And even if they did, if they saw her in Labyrinth, they probably didn't even put, you know, connected. Oh, it's the girl from that movie with the insects. You know, it's not like, oh, God, it's good thing she got this movie. But it's like the whole point of what we're talking about. It's that no matter what horror movie or a lower budget movie is just immediately frowned upon. I want to make a quick side note about Creepers Phenomena. Am I the only one that thinks that is a complete movie version of Bonnie Taylor's Total Eclipse of the Heart music video? (laughs) It looks like it aesthetically occasionally. There are shots, seriously, like when she's doing the I love you, I love all of you scene and she's lit from behind and her hair's flowing, I'm like, is the Bonnie Taylor music video about to break out? (laughs) You might be onto something. Music video for Iron Maiden and Motorhead. In totally inappropriate places. They just randomly put the songs of of, um, Donald Pleasance getting hauled away on the gurney and Motorhead's locomotive is playing. She's trying to throw up the pills that she was forced to take and Flash of the Blade from Iron Maiden starts playing and you're like, (laughs) that was random. Yeah, that's strange artistic choices in that one. Like another actor who doesn't really look down on his old stuff, Patrick Stewart still to this day talks glowingly about Life Force. Really? And it's fun. It's funny because that's a movie that I bet most Patrick Stewart fans are like, wait, this movie exists? Yeah. It's like, yeah, he, he loves, he even talked about it on, again, I can't remember if it was like Letterman or Leno or whatnot, how his first on-screen kiss ever was with Steve Rouse back in that movie. And how, how steamy mm-hmm. it was. Technically, he had a female vampire, space vampire's mind in his body. But yeah, it was still, you know, Patrick Stewart made out with Steve Rouse back in that. He certainly <laughs> did. Although I was going to say he, it, there's no reason to be embarrassed by Life Force. He should be embarrassed by Masterminds. How about like Charlize Theron in Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest? Mm. Remember her in that? That was her first movie. I, I've never heard her talk about it, but keep showing up on these, oh my god, can you believe these A-list actors starred in these embarrassing movie lists? She's never, uh, has she done an interview, like, talking about that one at all, or? I've never seen her, me- I've never seen anything about her mention it. Mm, well, I guess she hasn't badmouthed it or praised it either way. But she, honestly, seeing her in interviews, like, I recently saw her on an episode of uh, Hot Ones, which is a show where celebrities eat, like, hot chicken wings and then they're asked 
uh, sort of detailed questions about their, their past and whatnot. She seems to lovingly talk about everything. I don't think she's embarrassed about any aspect of her career. Like she honestly seems like a really down to earth person. I've actually yeah. gotten that from interviews too. She actually doesn't seem like she has a really swelled head. Yeah, she seems really cool. You mentioned earlier how, you know, Johnny Depp would be like, you know, don't do TV, don't do TV. That was the way it was for years about low-budget films because, now, I'm not talking A-listers here, but, you know, and not even B-listers, but, you know, like character actors and things like that. Mm -hmm. Back in the 70s and 80s, lots of them have these stories of being told there were fewer movie, you know, like MGM movies, Warner Brothers movies, etc. There were fewer being made every year at the time. You could be in a 20th Century Fox movie, and then maybe there's two months where you don't work before your Warner Brothers movie starts shooting. So what a lot of these people would do is, in that meantime... You know, you go do a Fulci movie or or things like that. Like James Earl Jones put it, you know, this is after Empire Strikes Back had been shot but not, had not come out yet. He did Blood Tie. And people were asking him, why would you do this? You are a major star. You've got, you know, arguably the biggest movie of all time up to that point about to come out in a few months. Why would you do Blood Tie? And he was like... Because they're basically paying me to spend time in this uh, beautiful villa in the Isles. All I have to do is pretend to fight an underwater monster for a few hours a day. <laughs> but people were like, don't do this, James. Don't do this. And he's like, he considered it basically a vacation for him and his wife. He's had to pretend to fight an underwater monster now and then. I think, what, I think no, the no, proof of, of uh, all of this is, is that it really is just a preconceived notion. You know, Hollywood execs or or actors or, or people will tell you don't do this don't do tv don't do this movie and ultimately it doesn't do shit. it doesn't hurt you at all like you can go off and do a low budget movie if you want you can go off and randomly do do porn as demonstrated by ashley gear and come back and do an episode of the x-files it's really just a preconceived notion and general deep-rooted pretension in the industry, nay saying you and telling you and waving a finger in your face and being, don't do this. It's, it's, you're above this. And then it doesn't fucking matter because what matters is the audience. What matters is who actually goes and pays to fucking see you. And I think some of these actors know this. J you know, James Earl Jones obviously knew it. it's just an, it's a movie. I'm going to go do another movie. I'm going to go get paid again. It's work. Some actors get that and some don't. Some believe that preconceived notion of, oh, I shouldn't do this because someone told me not to do it. Well, then be a fucking bitch. But see, it actually got so bad in the very early 80s and the late 70s and the early 80s for crew members. Because mm. they were told, you know, like you work on a Fox movie. Don't you dare go and work on a Roger Corman movie or Fox is not going to have you back. So what a lot of them would do, because there was this gap, you know, sometimes a month, two months between work, a lot of these people would go and do the low-budget stuff and the porn stuff under pseudonyms. Mm -hmm. You know, they were literally embarrassed to use their the same name that's on a Fox movie on, you know, on a Roger Corman movie. And it, it's like... I just can't fathom that, that you're so embarrassed about working on a film that you'll use a pseudonym. Yeah. Then don't take the job then. It, it's just, it's been so rooted into the industry, as I was saying, that that pretension has been so built in and so many people have been brainwashed by that whole mantra. They need to learn to think for themselves and look at examples led by other actors and other filmmakers. You know, like we just talked about James Earl Jones, but there's also James Gunn you know, who will still go off and make, like, smaller movies. 
You know, he, he made Falco Experiment for frickin' Orion Pictures, which I thought was dead. <laughs> Orion came back with, with the Belko experiment. And he's still working with, he's, he's putting Lloyd Kaufman in his movies. Lloyd Kaufman ended up in Guardians of the Galaxy. So look at these actors that are, that are leading by example and showing that you can just work. Just, just fucking work. No one's gonna say anything except the studios might wave a finger in your face, but you're gonna be fine. It's really a shame that, uh, they just, there's that just notion of how uh if you're if you're gonna do this then it's gonna screw over your career and it's a shame because in some cases they're right now in some folks like eric roberts it doesn't matter he can kind of come and go as he pleases he can do big movies he can do little movies he's talented enough but there are a lot of really terrible actors that uh just kind of got lucky and yeah. uh, I think that uh, they don't want to do anything that might mess that up. So they only want to take the big roles because uh, if they do a smaller role, well, then they might get relegated to doing that and then their career might be over. I, I don't know. I think it's kind of neat. I, I always enjoy somebody like Samuel Jackson. He bases the movies that he picks on, like, how close the golf course is. He's like, oh, if I golf over here, I haven't golfed here before. And then he'll pick, like, that was why he skipped uh, Waterworld and he did, uh, I think it was Die Hard 3, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, good uh, f***ing choice. Yeah, so he... Yeah, in retrospect, good choice, yes. In retrospect, that ended up being a very smart decision. But uh, but he was like, oh, because they were, you know, they were filming down in Hawaii. And he's like, oh, I never never golfed in Hawaii before. But he was like, no, he, he <laughs> got like a bad feeling and he was like nah you know what i'm gonna go do something so it's also factoring into you know uh you're going with your gut i think some some actors they just really need to look uh if you believe in the project too like it doesn't necessarily mean that the movie is going to be bad because it's a low budget film yeah. there have been plenty of i mean hell going back to get out get out was done for under five million and it ended up making a crap ton of money now some people might sneer their nose at it because it's done by blumhouse who uh in the past has done nothing but lower budget horror films and then for them garbage to put... you can use the word garbage no they it's have not done... garbage they have really turned their game around they've been putting out some excellent films lately but the thing was there was a time though where around when you know get out and split and all them oh god you're doing a movie with Blumhouse or whatnot. And it's like, and then next thing you know, they're doing really well because they're they're focusing on the writing and the stories as opposed to getting like a $50 million actor into the film. Yeah, they have their own niche and they're rocking it. They're doing a great I job. Don't like Blumhouse, mm. so. Blumhouse is, they've been killing it, man. I have been. Well, you you liked uh, Happy Death Day, and you didn't. I, I did, and I didn't want to. I what? went into Happy Death Day expecting to hate that, and I can, my girlfriend and I went to go see that because that was the only thing playing at the theater, and we just wanted to go out and see a movie. And I walked out of Happy Death Day going, "That was better than it had any goddamn right to be." Right, and that was Blumhouse because, like, I know, but that's a fluke. It's not a fluke. Not a fluke. It's not I a just cool admit it. You, en you enjoyed a Blumhouse film. Well, I've enjoyed Blumhouse films before, but in general, I don't like them. Mm. I'm not saying I've never liked a Blumhouse movie. I just I don't like them as. Did a they company. do? Did they do Bye Bye Man? Uh, no. I, I don't well, think so. Bye Bye Man. I think was Universal. I'm working on a video for a movie called Graduation Day. It's a 1981 horror film that was trying the to slasher cap movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> it was capitalizing on the uh, theme date because uh, the the guy who was one of the producers was uh, big into marketing and distribution, and he saw Friday the Thirteenth on Halloween and was like, "Oh crap, that's going to be the next big thing." So we need to jump on that, and so they went and got with the director, and it was like, "Let's see, is is uh, Valentine's Day taken? Uh, is birthdays taken? Uh, like then they finally landed on a graduation day, and they're like, "Okay, that's the one that wasn't taken." So they did graduation day. The mark of but, quality. The uh, but the movie ends up. I have a. It's a really good thing. I mean, the the guy who directed it was an ex rabbi. It's a who's a not a horror fan. It makes for a really interesting episode because the story behind it is cool. But the thing was, the movie cost three hundred thousand dollars. They took it to MGM and looking to possibly get um, wide distribution through them. And MGM was like, "Huh, it's a low budget movie. What is it like three million dollars?" And they were like. Yeah, something like that. Sure. <laughs> so they they don't even know. Like you know, it, it you know they spent three hundred thousand and they stretched it and it made it look like a you know a movie that was much more expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's uh, that's one of the things a lot of industries uh, a lot of the industry cracks me up with where it's like oh this was a very low budget movie. Twenty million dollar. It's like <laughs> yeah, I, I I remember watching the documentary on Twelve Monkeys on the Laserdisc. Terry Gilliam's like this was a very low budget movie. We had to cut corners everywhere. It's like you you had like eighteen million dollars. <laughs> Just w- w- I mean, okay, maybe that's low budget for the kind of movie. Maybe you're it's doing, low budget but... for Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt at the time. I actually no, they actually because the budget they had, they couldn't afford either of them. Both of them got paid scale huh. because they just they wanted to work on this movie so bad and you can Bruce, tell like they i think both of them put in two of the best performances of their oh, career in that easily movie. easily but i can't remember if it was bruce willis or brad pitt but one of them in the documentary obviously you know the vintage footage from the time yeah. was like i wanted to do this movie i would have done it for free oh shit just to work with gilliam mm-hmm. so they were paid 200 bucks a day for working on 12 monkeys. That's still that's a lot. Only, and, 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 Gill- and Gilliam said that's the only way he could have afforded Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt. Holy and shit. it's like, good thing he did because that's a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. But for the low budget that it was, <laughs> it looks amazing. I just, I, I just, I don't like when I hear, oh, it's a, you, you even get that today. I, I, I've, I've, I can't remember what, what movie I was watching. And they mentioned this was a $5 million film. We're back to low budget filmmaking. No, you're not. Do you realize what Roger Corman could make on five million bucks? He could make well, like ten movies. Especially because of the fact that now that everything's digital, you're not paying. Like one of the large parts of why film was expensive back in the day was because film was expensive. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, you'd spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just on film. Yeah. And then you'd have to pay all your location fees and whatnot. But now and that processing. everything's and processing, exactly, and processing. Now everything's done digitally. You can, I mean, they're trying to push this whole, hey, this movie was shot on iPhone. I don't really dig that too much. Cause I, I, but I still think that like, you know, you, you can rent, you know, a red camera. You, you could take a million takes and it's not going to, you know, factor into your budget at all. It might take post a little bit longer, but yeah. it's not going to factor in like buying reels and reels and reels of film. Like it would have back in the day. Yeah, the the term low budget, as we were talking about tonight, has shifted. And I think that's one of the things, when I look back at all these movies that, that all these stars are ashamed of, you realize how many aspiring actors or actresses would have f***ing killed to have the position that you're ashamed we're in. Mm-hmm. That That's the part that pisses me off. Yeah. Okay, so to end this out, 
Should actors be looking back, actors, directors, writers, looking back at their old stuff with disdain? Because th there is actually an element of, you know, maybe I didn't do my best work back then. That I understand. I mean, I look back at the early work I had as a writer, and I'm like, oh my god, how did that magazine even print that? But <laughs> at the same time, I'm not trying to deny that that was printed. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't so, know. I think just just take it for what it is. I think if, if you did something, you did it. And people are going to, especially if it's a movie or a TV show that was that was released, people are going to see it. Don't deny it. Well, where can people find Peter not denying he's been on this show? I'm not on this show. What are you talking about? Um, you, you can, Canadian uh, ape. <laughs> you can find uh, me on Twitter at Cinematica. You can find me on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, YouTube, The Cinemasochist, and on 1201beyond.com. I've got got a couple of new videos out. I've got merchandise. I'm working on a few other videos. Or am I? No, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm too too ashamed. I'm going to go under pseudonym Pete Jones. Pete Jones. Pete huh? Jones. Yes. Well, Shit, now you know my pseudonym. I fucked myself. <laughs> Cecil, you'll never get the stink of this show off you. No, I people find certainly you. won't. Uh, <laughs> can't wait to put put all these low lives behind me. You, you, you're going to be a big budget podcaster, right? I well, I'm going to be a big budget uh, YouTube Twitch superstar any any minute now. <laughs> so. You can you yeah it, yes no I I hope so you know and then you know it'd be nice to to you know be like be able to go on a vacation once in a while and not. Yeah. Uh, you know, have to fucking, anyway, blabbering. Um, uh, you can find me at, uh, goodbadflicks.com uh, as well as goodbadflicks on YouTube, which is pretty much where most people find me. Uh, and then I am also goodbadflicks on Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook and 1201beyond.com where, uh, if you go, uh, you should buy some shirts from Peter and, uh, and well, mostly from Peter. I don't know if jo Josh's shirts kind of stink, but um. <laughs> well, no, they're brand new. I mean, it's not like I've worn the. Oh, oh, you meant like more on an aesthetic look, okay. right? You've no, just I'm... been wearing the same Iron Maiden shirt since, since 1995. And, yeah, yeah they... hey, hey, hey! You you should know I am wearing the same Punisher T-shirt for the last three days. They finally <laughs> set your they finally set your dead Kennedy shirt on fire. <laughs> I still Getting lament my the, 80s uh, dead Kennedy shirt. Actually, that thing died in the wash. It just got washed so much it's just rags at this point my old my 80s dead kennedy shirt but you guys can find me at 1201beyond.com you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com guys try to be a cut above keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold have a good night <laughs>
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.